Hello and welcome to From the Rookery Inn. My name's John. Uh, with me uh, today, uh, it being a Sunday, uh, is Colin. Uh, good morning. And Mike. Good day to you. Yes, um, and it is a good day because it's always quite nice to have From the Rookery Inn uh, the day after a Watford game. We've had a bit of time to... To, to dwell on uh, things that happened, uh, see them again over and over and over and over on, on Twitter. Uh, we'll get to that one uh, and also watch it on Match of the Day. But uh, Watford drew 1-1 uh, away at the, I, want to, I still want to call it the new White Hart Lane, but the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, still waiting for a sponsor, I suspect. Uh, and it was a one of those performances where with Watford being one up for so long after scoring so early in the game, after six minutes, it felt, from some points of view, definitely on social media, that it was a missed opportunity. And also in others, it was just a great performance. Mike, when you looked at the scores and you saw what was happening, how do you feel at the end of that game? I have to be honest, I was disappointed. I felt it was, it was two points lost, stripping away all the, um, all the stuff that, that happened in the game, focusing on football alone. You know, to lead for up until 86 minutes and then to, and then to concede, um, having created chances throughout the game as well. Um, I think it was, you know, it felt like for, for the afternoon, he said, this is it. This could be that moment that our season actually starts. You know, we've said it week after week, you know, we'll kickstart it in this game. We said before the game, it was a reasonable, reasonable time to play Tottenham. Uh, our record away at, at Spurs is absolutely dreadful in the Premier League. And this was probably going to be our best chance to get something. So to not get that win after feeling for so long, like it was going to happen. It just sort of felt like it was going to be our day for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and then so to concede so late was was desperately disappointing. But then again, you have to look at it. You have to try and be pragmatic, don't we, as, as football supporters and try not to get too sort of um, carried away and emotional. At the start of the day, if we'd have been offered one all with Tottenham, we'd have taken it. So on one hand, it's probably a point that I didn't expect us to get. But in the context of the afternoon, it. It's hard to be massively excited this morning, although it is a point and, and a decent performance. It's interesting because I asked you that question first, Mike, on purpose. If anyone listens to the last podcast, it was quite a contrast <laughs> between Colin and Mike. But Colin, as the, 90th, uh, as the final whistle went at the stadium, how are you feeling as a Watford fan? Uh, just, getting a, just getting a 1-1 at, at Spurs. I don't know. I didn't. I think I, I was relieved. I mean, that was the, that was the first that we'd got, we'd got away with the point and we hadn't conceded. A second goal, which we'd done previously, I think, when we played them at Wembley. You know, they'd got a couple right near the end and and uh, and, and taken all three points. So I was relieved. But actually, for me, the result it would have been lovely to get the, the three points. But the result was not exactly immaterial or irrelevant. But what was uh, the thing that felt different from previous weeks was not only the, the Watford fans who were there, you know, in legions. Um, so there's quite a large away section in that stadium and we'd absolutely packed it. And there was there was uh, the atmosphere was so much better. There was there was singing throughout. There was a real sense of supporting the team, and part of the reason for that was that the team themselves uh, were giving the best performance of the season. I mean, by miles. And it wasn't like a relegation battle, backs against the wall, uh, sort of Alamo defence. It was it was a cultured bit of. Uh, away from home defensive football against the team let's face it we've had a bad record against uh, particularly away from home and who are better than us there's no question about it they, they were in the Champions League final last season okay they're having a bit of a rough ride but potentially if they if they hit their straps they, they can beat anybody so what I saw 
was a, was a progression from the Sheffield United game, which I know caused a lot of frustration because we were playing a newly promoted side and we didn't play like we had the confidence to beat them, even though we created three really good chances, just didn't take them, but were much more difficult to break down. And this, this performance against Spurs, which, you know, say again, is away from home and against a team that is considered to be one of the top six, we just played so well. It was just such a good performance. The thing we were, I was wondering about... Uh, before the game was, would Kike stick with the three at the back? We know he started against Sheffield United that way, um, but that was with Prudel. Would he have had the chance to be happy enough with another three central defenders uh, to play in that back three? And clearly he was, uh, and he started with uh, Cathcart, Cabaselli and Dawson, with uh, Holobas and Janmat as sort of a back five slash wingbacks. And Colin... Were they a better unit, a continuation and an improvement from the Sheffield United game? Yeah, there's no doubt that they, the, what's happened, whatever's been going on on that training pitch is starting to pay off because what you saw was, was a, a plan. Like Every player on the pitch knew what their job was and was getting on with doing their job. And if, if someone got out of position, someone covered. The back three were, were peerless. I mean, Spurs just got nothing out of them. I mean, Harry Kane had a really poor game. And in the end, Harry Kane is playing on the halfway line to try and get the ball. Because every time he goes up front, either Dawson, Cabaselli or Cathcart um, were, were, were getting to headers first. They, had the, they were confident in, uh, aerially, but also on the deck, they were keeping the ball. And we were playing out from the back. I mean, not always. We were knocking it long sometimes. But we, we, it, it just seems like a different... It was the same system against Sheffield United, but sort of 2.0, if you like. There just seemed to be quite a lot of confidence. He set up, he set up in midfield with with Cleverly and uh, Chalabar. Chalabar really playing in the in the deepest role, and Cleverly buzzing around. And it was very reminiscent of watching Ben Watson and Valon Barami. Very very similar sort of jobs that they were doing. Uh, Cleverly in the Barami role, hunting down the ball, snapping into tackles, shutting down players, and then Chalabar sort of cleaning up just behind him. And so that the Decore role, Decore was playing in a more advanced role, which is why he was there to score that goal and why he got, he got chances later on in the game, is that he was playing uh, in advance of Chalabar and Cleverly. They weren't playing three in a line. They were playing in a triangle. And uh, and Tottenham just kept, it was like waves against cliff, the cliffs. They just kept breaking against the, the Watford cliffs, if you like. And they just couldn't get any change out of it. And they started to run, Tottenham started to run themselves into the ground. They were, they were, they were run, they, normally it's the team that doesn't have the ball that gets exhausted. But in this instance, I mean, both teams were exhausted by the end. But, but Tottenham were also getting frustrated and they were they couldn't go around the sides because that's not really their game they don't have flying wing backs or wingers to cross the ball in they didn't really get around the side of us they couldn't get through the middle uh, and when we got the ball we were able to use it effectively what's what's great that that Colin just said that yes the shape we saw the we saw the foundations of that very much against against Sheffield United but what's absolutely thrilling is that word confidence. And when we've spoken to other Watford fans or done little bits on the radio, that people have asked, well, we, you didn't get that new manager bounce with Kike, did you? And on one hand, it's like, well, you're not going to get that when you've got Arsenal and then Manchester City and Wolves away. It's very difficult just to have a, have a bounce in, in those sort of games. But my view has been that his biggest job has been, it must be to turn that confidence around because I think that's been the biggest stumbling block yeah. for this Watford side this season. The confidence is... Not even on the floor. It's in the upside down. It's in Stranger Things. It's been. It's it's so so far away. Um, so to so to to see that confidence creeping back, that is a huge win for Kike Sanchez Flores. 
and indeed the players, because we've also said they need to cross that white line and they need to start start performing. And so to, to hear that and to, to see that sort of confidence and shape flowing back, we didn't get the result, but... In that in itself is a result because if we need to be in, if we're going to have any chance at all of of getting out of this mess, confidence had to be the first thing to come back, yeah, uh, and and I hope that the performance gives that and brings that back, and it and it isn't stripped away by the other things that happened yesterday. Um, we'll get on to those that, in a minute. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But up front, Colin, we saw that it was going to be a Pereira who we played a really, uh, I think, what did you call him, a terrier um, against Sheffield United. <laughs> you know, more than, yeah. more than the normal, that is, uh, Roberto Pereira. Uh, and also Danny Welbeck. <clears throat> but unfortunately, Danny Welbeck, uh, after, well, less than two minutes, uh, was off injured. I'm not quite sure if it was a bad injury or if it was a cautionary uh, taking him off. And on comes, well, was it going to be Delefeu or was it going to be Andre Gray? And it was Delefeu, who, you know, you last year, you were, you were loving the, uh, the Bobby P. Uh, and Jerry D show, uh, and yeah. and we got that in full effect. We did. What was what was interesting was that um, I, I, I mean, I, firstly, can we just send our love and regards to poor old Danny Welbeck? I suspect it's a recurrence of his ankle injury because he he walked off the pitch. He wasn't taken off on the stretcher. He sort of hobbled off. Well, actually, he didn't even hobble. Maybe he just had a tweak in his hamstring. You just don't know. When you've been out for so long, anything that happens to your body, I suspect, just sends alarm bells ringing and you just think, I need to get off the pitch because I don't want this to get worse. But anyway, off he went. And uh, they brought on uh, Delafeu to, to great uh, cheers from the Watford faithful. They sang his song straight away. I mean, it, it, we have a bit of a sort of, on the podcast, we have a bit of a love-hate relationship with, uh, with Delafeu because we feel that he's so good uh, and that he should be affecting results more than he does at times. And sometimes he, he, he has a poor game. But he came on and what they did, which I mean, I don't think was ever in Kike's mind, they played as split strikers, which is again played sort of into this thing with the, with Decore playing in a slightly advanced midfield role, was that they split and uh, Decore could then sort of join them in the middle. Uh, so, we didn't, so we didn't have a target man on the pitch anymore. And that totally flummoxed Spurs because they had all these giants at the back to deal with Welbeck or, you know, or Gray or, or Deeney or whoever they thought was, was going to be playing. And, and then they found they had two basically wingers <laughs> and no centre forward. And they didn't really know what to do. And that was one of the reasons that we were able to break, break the lines because uh, they, they, they were compact in the middle, but we, there was no Watford player in the middle. So they, it was a very strange situation. And he might have landed, he might have sort of fallen accidentally onto something because I don't know what he said to Pereira, but I mean, Pereira, <laughs> worked, he worked so hard. He challenged in the air, he went into tackles, he closed down the ball. I mean, in the end, he, he could barely get off the pitch uh, for the, all the cramp in his legs. Because I don't think he played a game like that since the first season he was with us when we were all surprised to see a player from Juventus track back as much as he did. Then he had all his injuries and so on. But last yesterday, I mean, he really went into the trenches for it, for his teammates and for the fans and for the club. And Delafoe pretty much did the same. He ran and ran and ran. And by the end, they pair of them. You just, um, it's a big pitch, that pitch. And they had to run. They did a lot of, they had, did a hell of a lot of running. And by the end of it, they had run themselves literally into the ground. But it was great to see them working together up front because it, it actually... Um, caused Tottenham a lot of problems when we had the ball, when we got into their half. We, we opened them up with, with simple passes again and again and again. And we, we were unlucky not to, not to increase our lead. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. But it was kind of one of those accidental things when you think, oh, Delefeu and Pereira up front, the two of them, 
split like that, that's not, I mean, how's that going to work? And then it, it seemed to kind of come together really well, but, but helped mostly by the fact that Jan Matt and Holomas uh, were heroic, not in their defending uh, uh, task, which they were, in fact, and they covered really well, but they also got up to help uh, the two holding midfielders, if you want to call them that, and they also got up to help the two uh, players up front. So they, they just were shuttling up and down uh, and they were flawless um, in their positional uh, play. And if they were out of position, Holobas occasionally got caught upfield, then the three at the back uh, and Chalabar could sort of slot in and cover where, where he was supposed to be. But those two wing-backs really caused uh, Tottenham a lot, a lot of trouble. And also they handled... I mean, Yamat had a brilliant game. It was, so, it was such a shame he went off because I think if he hadn't gone off, we would have won. We wouldn't have conceded, but he he was able to deal with Danny Rose, who was who is you know he's a very very good player, and he was rampant down that left hand side for Spurs, and he was in, every time he came up against Yamat, it just he stopped him, made him turn, made him play it back into central midfield, which is what Tottenham were doing, just recycling the ball, getting more and more frustrated. So it was it was it was kind of a strange thing. We expect Welbeck and Pereira to play off him, and then suddenly we've got these two little fellas up front who are playing sort of. In inside right, inside left position, really. Then no one was playing at centre forward, and actually, it, it created a kind of real problem for Spurs, and they didn't know how to solve it. And um, we were able to get through them uh, on a number of occasions. I do think we need to temper this optimism a little bit. And you say, <laughs> you say, <laughs> that's why you're Chelsea, here, Mike. Please. That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> and you rightly say, Colin, that you know Watford did open Tottenham up. You know, we had them on the back foot and we talked about confidence a moment ago Tottenham of course are, are in their own rut they're in their own dire straits and, and Watford did open them up and did create chances and, and what didn't we do we didn't we didn't, we didn't take score them. again <laughs> and I saw a stat and I think we've created 90 chances mm. in the Premier League this season which is 6th in the Premier League so we're European places in terms of creating chances and how many goals have we scored in the Premier League? 5 um, yeah, and it's whilst it's great to see Jerry and, and, and Bobby doing well up front and, 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 and I make you right about Pereira at Colin I thought actually I thought we saw it last uh, the week ago against Sheffield United mm. as well him getting stuck in which sort of it was really really good to see so it's fab- fabulous that we're getting that sort of those effort levels but we still have this enormous problem of getting the ball into the net you know yeah. five, five goals uh, what, is it one of them from the penalty spot um, mm. and you know our, our goal difference is now effectively means we're we're not four points off safety we're five points off safety because yeah. our goal difference is so 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 dismal and all the good performances in the world aren't going to save us if we can't do what football's about which is scoring right. goals um, right. and and so confidence is still a silly big issue you know Welbeck going off is it's awful because you know him him getting a bit of momentum is is really key to us getting through this period without Troy Deeney. You know what sort of Troy Deeney are we going to see come back after his injury? We've often said that we don't expect to get ten, fifteen, twenty goals from Troy anymore. It's more of a a totemic sort of um, inspirational yeah. uh, thing that we miss from him. So we really do have to to solve this solve this goal scoring conundrum very very quickly um, because whilst Everything you say, Colin, is great, and it's you know we should be proud of the the performance Watford turned in yesterday. Ultimately, if it's if you strip away if it's Team A against if it's Team Yellow against Team White, and it's not Tottenham against Watford, and you're an analyst looking at it, Team Yellow should have won that game. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Watford need to make sure that they're winning games they should win because you know we're only nine games in, but we're running out of chances. We're already yeah. four five points adrift. 
Um, I agree and, with that. I, I think um, he, he had so many problems to deal with when he arrived yeah. at the club. Yeah. And and we conceded. I don't know. I mean, obviously, we we hadn't we hadn't played Arsenal or uh, Man City at that stage. So obviously, that Man City game. We really fell to pieces, and Kike must have thought, "Golly, the problems here are much, much worse than I thought they were." But he's he's definitely sought to address that end of the pitch, i.e., yep. the conceding. And in the last two games, we've conceded one goal in, instead of our normal four, <laughs> which is what we were doing at the beginning of the season. Two two conceded every game, so he's he's worked on that, and that and that is the platform. Yeah, agreed. Uh, for, agreed. For the future, and also for the confidence in the team. If you don't concede. It helps the team with their confidence. They think, okay, we're in this game. Whereas if you've conceded in the first five minutes and then you, you let another one in after 35 minutes, you think, well, now we've got to do something miraculous to get anything from the game. Yeah. And we managed yeah. to do that against Arsenal, but you're not going to do that every time. And hopefully his next job is to sort, <laughs> sort out the finishing. Because as you say, we, we, we created enough chances in that game to win three, three or four nil, and mm-hmm. and uh, and yet we only were only able to score one goal. Very good goal, though it was. Before we move on, lads, very very quickly, do us just quick straw poll. How are we feeling about about Ben Foster in three words? Not as good. Because mm. I think he, he, you know you have to say he didn't cover himself in glory for the for the equaliser. You know VAR and all our chances aside, I think we had a chance to defend that a lot better, didn't we? Oh my goodness, yeah. But then the other thing, of course, is that after 86 minutes, everyone is so exhausted. I mean, maybe not the goalkeeper, but so little mistakes start to creep in. That's why so many goals get scored at, towards the end of games. And, and mm. I mean, Kiko just got in the way, and it's, but he should have cleared it out. He's a goalkeeper. Yeah. Come and clear it out. I mean, he, he did it very well in the first half. He came and headed the ball outside of his, <laughs> uh, outside of the area. He ran out of the area and booted the ball as hard as he could a few times. I mean, he was clearing the lines quite well. He had quite a good game. And then he makes, I mean, what is pretty much a ricket. There's no yeah. question about it. I mean, that yeah. that should never have been scored. That goal, if if he's on 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 top form. So I, I don't know what the answer is. We haven't got an alternative, have we? We've got a very old Brazilian man who we all love to pieces, but I'm not sure that we'd be too pleased to see him between the sticks. And then we've got two youngsters who are totally untried at this level. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Let's not tiptoe around it. I lay awake in bed last night. I'm absolutely shattered this morning because <laughs> I lay in bed last night. My blood was boiling. Yeah, um, it t- my blood had turned to molten lava by the time I finally managed to drift off at whatever time it was. And yet we can talk about VAR and I think we have to be dang- careful that we don't get sucked into these sob stories because yeah, teams in relegation battles often find they have a lot of bad luck and uh, you, you don't want to be attaching too much sort of, oh yeah, we were, we were robbed here, we were done no, there. Because, you know, if we'd scored the penalty and gone 2-0 up, it's not beyond the realms of possibility to, to, to imagine Watford throw that two-goal lead away. So I don't subscribe to, oh, we would have been 2-0 up, that's three points. I don't subscribe to the fact that Newcastle not equalising would have equaled three points. It, football doesn't work like that. But what, what I do find very, very, very difficult to swallow is that what seems to be happening is people are ignoring the evidence that is happening in front of their eyes. So, you know, this can be conclusive or not. We can go on to talk about it or not. I don't see what the discussion is. The challenge on, um, on Gerard Delefeu was a penalty. Yeah. That isn't, and, and it's not often you can say it's, it's a fact, but it is a fact. Whether Vertonghen's foot came up on purpose 
or accidentally bouncing back up off the turf, he tripped him up. You can yeah. see his foot. It's not like, oh, there's a little bit of contact there um, or he, you know, he's moving quickly and he's nudged him and he's gone down. He trips him up. It's like a it's what happens when you if you're a four year old kid and you want to trip your sister up. That's what you do. You yeah. hook hook the leg round, up it goes, and down they go like a sack of spuds. Absolutely undeniable, undisputable penalty. And for them to be sitting there protecting their referee because that's what they're doing. They've set you know this high bar standard. We're only going to, to overturn a uh, a decision if it's if it's inc- clear and clear obvious. and obvious. Yeah. It doesn't get more clear and obvious than that. So the clear and obvious statement they're saying is, we are not going to overturn decisions. We're going to d- deal with line decisions and that's it. Pathetic uh, and I'm furious about it. And and, 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 the, and the Deli Alley one as well, to, to hear them on Match of the Day sort of mealy mouth talking about, oh, well, where does the arm start? What are you talking about? Where does the arm start? It yeah. starts where your arm starts. <laughs> It's attached by your shoulder. It came, it all hit him underneath the shoulder. It hit him on the arm, which the rules this year, I believe, is a penalty. And again, it's not up for dispute. You see it come off his arm. So, yeah, the other thing that's weird is that they're not using the television in the, I mean, in the World Cup, we saw VAR check something, then tell the referee who is in charge, let's remember, of the refereeing team, VAR not in charge, telling the referee, saying, look, we think there's something to look at here. You should go and have a look at it on the screen. They go to the screen, they look at the screen, they watch it 65 times, and then yeah, they make but- the decision. Now, if the referee had gone over to look at that video and seen it in the way that we saw it in the highlights, he would say, I'm in charge of this. Okay, I didn't see the, him hook his leg like that. I'm still in charge. I'm still making decision. I'm reversing my decision. That's a penalty. But he didn't go over. They made the, the issue decision we've got forward. with that is Mike Riley has instructed the referees not to use that pitch side monitor. And the understanding I have is that they have agreed amongst the sort of refereeing fraternity. And I think it's right to, to set the parameters amongst themselves. They're going to use that pitch side monitor if the, if the, if the team in this studio think the referees missed something. So, for example, if off-screen or down the other end of the pitch, Jose Holobas has stuck one on Harry right. Kane, has punched him, well, you know, in the... can't imagine that happening, can you? Um, <laughs> but away from play and the ref had no chance of seeing it, then they would instruct the ref to go and look at the pitch side monitor then. But it's yeah. only for stuff that he would have missed. So I think the there is a... Amongst the refs, they're being told not to use it because I don't think that anyone, uh, you know, nine games into the Premier League, no one's looked at it yet. That it hasn't been used. No, and I think it's a it's a directive that that's what it's used for. But you see, I find that so strange because if you want to, we need our referee on the pitch to have authority. We can't start otherwise. You might as well get rid of referees and just have the whole thing done digitally. So. If you've got a referee on the pitch who's making decisions, the whole point of the pitch side monitor is VAR look at it and then hand it back to the referee and the referee has the final say and that keeps his authority in the game and that's not happening. Sort of, but I think what... I do like the fact they're not going over to the screen because it it's just takes more time. And True. if you are, as a unit, the team of referees, as any good team, if you're working together and you all... Um, appreciate each other and you all understand each other's roles if the referee on the pitch understands the role of the VAR is to check something he can't and both the decisions that we Watford fans have a problem with one is the Delafayu and was it a handball from Delhi Alley were both happening mm. on the other side of where the referee was standing in a penalty box where he can't be that side so that yeah. seems to be an easy way for VAR to go well we're going to tell you something you, you, just, you just couldn't have seen yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the problem. There's, there's, there's eyes on these incidents. Everything's goals are being checked. So they've seen, 
they've looked at the penalty incident and whoever is watching that on the replay is saying, oh yeah, nothing to see here. And then they've watched the <laughs> Deli Alley incident and said again. And I, I can't square it off. No. I cannot, I, can't, I just, there's no, there's no see, rhyme in, or reason to it. It's, in, the it's, pre, in the pre-VAR era, we would just be raging about the fact that big teams get better, <laughs> better decisions. That, and actually nothing's really changed. I mean, that's the problem. So you might as well get rid of VAR because it's not doing its job. It just isn't. They're not. They're not. They can't. They can't possibly be seeing it in an entirely objective way because that is a penalty in any game of football anywhere in the world, whether it's on a playground amongst eight-year-olds or in the World Cup final. That is a penalty. He goes to ground. He loses control of his body and he hooks Delafeo's ankle. And if they can't see that and won't overturn it, then I, I think you might as well get. It's just you might as well get rid of it. And let's just go back to playing football like we used to. Maybe. You know, we went to the Spurs Stadium for the new first Spurs Stadium for the first time. Mike, you were there last week. They've got this retractable pitch. Maybe there is some sort of interference between that stadium and the VAR office. Maybe that billion pounds was spent on something more than just a retractable pitch. Potentially, potentially. Watford should definitely have had a first down, though. <laughs> From the rookery end. Mike's surname is Parkin, he has a son called Arlo, and this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to From the Rookery End, it's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Glad to hear it, mate. Where have you been? You've just been playing football? Yeah. How'd you go on? We lost. Never mind. You got thrashed, never mind. Tough day at the office. We're used to that as Watford supporters. Now, Arlo, one question for the podcast this week. And it probably won't surprise listeners to know that it is about VAR. Arlo, what do you think of VAR? What's it good for? Nothing, really. I think that probably sums up the feelings of most Watford supporters today. Arlo, thanks very much for joining us. Bye, bye. News is Hornet Heaven, a podcast, uh, another Watford podcast, such as uh, as we are, uh, was released this week. Series 11, uh, and Colin, the voice of Hornet Heaven, uh, caught up with the writer, Ollie, uh, at Spurs yesterday to find out a little bit more about it. I'm here with Ollie Wicken, who is the creator of Hornet Heaven, and we've collaborated again uh, in the last couple of weeks to produce another season of Hornet Heaven, season 11. It is, yeah. So, um... Just tell us a little bit about the inspiration for the four episodes and uh, maybe a little pricey of, um, of what they're about and uh, what you were trying to sort of get at when you were writing them. Of course. So a uh, little recap, Hornet Heaven is the place in the afterlife that Watford fans go to when they pass away. Hornet Heaven podcast is a series of stories written by me and brilliantly performed by you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, but uh, they're all about just trying to say what, what it's like to live life as a Watford fan, even though all the characters are dead. Uh, so the inspiration for Series 11 was uh, the rather uninspiring start to the season that we've had. And all four episodes uh, are written from the first game of the season up until the uh, draw with Sheffield United. And one's a little bit hostage to fortune when you write these things, because if the inspiration was how terrible it's been for the start of the season, and here we are at half-time, and we're 1-0 up at Spurs, then uh, you're thinking, hmm, I'm not sure the topicality of this is quite going to work. Uh, I think the good thing about uh, the, 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 the series of uh, Hornet Heaven is that it just helps with the catharsis of dealing with some pretty, pretty abject, poor performances we've seen. 
uh, it helps put them in a bit of perspective and uh, particularly the first episode I think really helps all, all football fans to understand that there are things more important than not. I don't want to give away too many spoilers but it's a kind of father-son uh, episode uh, and, 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 and very moving and touching I, I found. Uh, and then we move into this, uh, episode two, three and four which are, are more kind of recognisable Hornet Heaven episodes with uh, the folk in Hornet Heaven desperately worried about the way things are going, some happy to see Kike back, some less so. So the second episode is a fairly straight comedy uh, after the defeat to Manchester City because you've got to have a laugh about it really because there's nothing else that you can do. Uh, the third one was inspired by and uh, in support of the Golden Memories programme that the uh, Watford Trust are doing. Uh, for people who are suffering from uh, dementia. So that, that sparked an idea for a story, so hopefully everybody will have a listen to that um, and uh, we'll spread the word about that programme that they're doing of reminiscence sessions. And the final one... <laughs> the final one is perhaps the most brilliant performance by your good self uh, that we've had out of 11 series of uh, a man who's uh, slightly flips at the, uh, the prospect of relegation and has to be calmed down uh, by yeah, a special a, process a, that Bill Mainwood has, which isn't his usual magical history tool. No, he's a new arrival in Hornet Heaven and he's absolutely appalled uh, at, at the form. And he just want, I mean, almost like he wants to go back down to earth so that he can carry on being angry. And the idea that Hornet Heaven is this paradise for Watford fans, just he's not interested in any of that. He doesn't want to go to past games, he wants to go to the next game and see the form turn around. And he is apoplectic, constantly apoplectic with rage. And it is really, really funny. I mean, hope, hopefully it's therapeutic for people to listen to. It's actually very therapeutic to write yeah, as well because uh, all of the angst that we feel on a short term about the, the performances this season, uh, when, you, when you set it against the context of supporting the club since 1881, as the characters do, and in this uh, refined and very special world of Hornet Heaven, uh, then it just makes you put it in perspective, as you say, and uh, hopefully it'll make people feel happy. And here's a clip uh, from the second episode due out this week. It was the evening of Saturday the 21st of September 2019. Watford had just lost 8-0 at Manchester City. Bill Mainwood, Hornet Heaven's head of programmes, was in the atrium, trying to lift his friend's spirits. Come on, you lot. I know what'll cheer us up. Let's go and watch an old Watford game together. But Bill had underestimated the humiliation Hornets fans were feeling after the worst ever league defeat in the club's history. Watford, sir? Never heard of them, sir said Bill's 13-year-old assistant, Derek Garston. Luton fan me. Always have been, said Neil McBain. Oh, dear. Come on, everyone. I know it was a bad result this afternoon, but you can't escape the fact that being in Hornet Heaven proves we're Watford fans. It's an undeniable truth, as undeniable as the historical fact that Henry Grover founded the club in 1881. No. I didn't. Oh, hello, Henry. I've never had anything to do with Watford. Not now, not ever. Henry leaned into Bill, tapped his nose and said, You haven't seen me, right? Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. 
Thank you very much to uh, everyone who got involved with the podcast. We asked you this week, could you send some questions of things that we should be talking about? And we actually asked that question because we thought maybe nothing's really going to come out of that Spurs game to talk about. Funny enough, there was quite a lot. But we, we, we do want you to continue to send in your questions uh, on a weekly basis and we'll try and pick up at least on a few uh, every single week. Uh, several themes came out and in fact several of them seem to be a little bit more than just a, a little bit of a podcast. They need a bit bit wider thinking. But let's go for one from, uh, from Catherine Jones. Uh, Mike, when will Watford win a match? <laughs> I love the simplicity of that of that question. Um, I've got the answer as well, luckily for for you guys and for for Catherine. Thank you for for getting in touch. The answer is uh, Saturday, the twenty sixth of October. Excellent. We're going to we're going to channel all our all the improvements, all the uh, our confidence is going to be carried across. The injustice um, from the game against Tottenham will burn bright within us, and we will swat aside Eddie Howe and his dastardly cherries on, on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> I'm, I'm confident we'll win it because, quite frankly, we have to win it. And I think we will. I think we, we've, I think we feels like we're turning a corner. and It's a huge opportunity to, to, to finally, finally, finally get our season back on track. Three points on Saturday, the 26th of October. Look forward to talking about it after the game. Uh, Colin, um, one question. Uh, maybe it's one of the things we'll come back to nearer the time. But uh, Alex... Alex Bryant has asked, do you think the Pozzo family will spend big in January to ensure we stay up if we are still in the bottom places? Not the bottom, but the bottom places. I suppose there's two bits to that. Is, are they going to spend big, as in spend a lot of money, or are they going to spend big on certain positions, do you think? They won't spend big. I would say 100%. They will spend money in January if we're in trouble, even if we're not in trouble, if we're, we've crawled ourselves up into the sort of middle 10. Uh, but I think they will address some issues um, depending on who's fit and how many injuries we've got. I think we certainly need some more defensive recruits. Um, we're getting a bit thin on the ground um, uh, at the back, I think. And we just, because it's going to be tough. You know, when you're in a relegation battle, you have to fight. And mm. we saw a bit of fight in the last two weeks, actual sort of blood, sweat and tears, that kind of fight, that kind of effort, that kind of togetherness. And when you play like that, inevitably people are going to pick up knocks because you, you're being combative and you know you often haven't got the ball. And so I, I fear that we're going to pick up injuries. We picked up a couple of... I looked like Jan Matt had picked up an injury yesterday as well. He went off. It didn't seem it was just fatigue or tactical. It looked like he'd actually got something and well bet going so you know it's going to be a tough autumn and I suspect they will recruit but I can't see them spending big it's just not the way they do things they'll find a centre back they'll find a left back they may even find another you know they they, they will I I suspect maybe two or three players will come in in January but I would suspect they'll be defensive recruit will recruit defensively to take things to their to their negative conclusion as well I think we do need to look at the flip side say for example we're we're 10 points adrift um, at, uh, in, at Christmas and, it, and in January, they have a very real um, set of considerations to take into account, which is: do they start preparing for the for the championship? In as much yeah. as do we cash in on Delafeu, Pereira, uh, Decore? Who you know, fair play to do. We must say Decore had an absolute barnstorming game yeah. yesterday, didn't he? Man, man did, of the match yeah. by by some margin. So great to see him performing again. But do they? Uh, you know, they have to look at it with cold heart, cold uh, you know, eyed business decision. If we're ten points adrift, the odds on to go to go down, um, 
and I hope that it obviously doesn't come to pass and I don't expect it to but they're going to have to make a decision do they cash in on, on those guys mm. because what, a relegated side can, just simply cannot command the transfer fees for those sort of players um, that a Premier League side can because there'll be no question they will leave um, if we get relegated I've, I suspect that, that many of them will leave anyway but so January is going to be fascinating. We have, of course, got um, uh, incomings that, 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 that are due, aren't they? The, the, the young Brazilian is, is, is going to arrive, we hope, in, in January, subject, to, um, uh, subject to, to international clearance. So either way, it's going to be absolutely fascinating, as always with the transfer window for Watford. That's just, yeah, an early chat about it, but I'm sure this will start. You know, he's only the midway through or near the end of October. We've still got two months to go before we can really seriously think about... What what is needed, uh, and what we what, what what we think is needed, what we desire uh, for our club to do when it comes to the general transfer window. One final question, actually, was it came from Alex, um, and he sort of said, and lots of people sort of brought this up, is about the youth. Uh, I do remember one from from Luans as well, but we know how much uh, if you, those of you who follow him on Twitter know how much he loves Domingos Quina. Uh, thinks he should be given opportunities in other clubs. Quite, right, youth, quite rightly too, I must. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, in, in other clubs, youth youth players are playing more in the first team and doing well. Connolly at Brighton, Chelsea have got plenty. He, he mentioned Manchester United. I'm not quite sure if he thinks they're making much of an impact there. Uh, the young players uh, are Watford scared to play young players. Are they scared, Mike, or is it just because of the position we're in? Um, I don't think they're scared in, in the slightest. I mean, my question would be which of our youth, in sort of inverted commas, players would would come in apart from apart from Queener, really. Um, but I do think you have to look at it in in context. I think throwing throwing inexperienced players in to to a situation like like we're in is is problematic and you can you can see how they view that in as much as how they're using Ismail Assar someone who's obviously got a huge amount of talent someone that they obviously believe has a huge amount of talent because they've spent so much so much money on them but they're very clear on how they want to utilize him which is that slow integration into the into the Premier League so using him as a as a case study that's that's what they're going to do if they're going to do that with a 30 million pound plus player that's definitely what they're going to do with an inexperienced teenager as well they, they're going to protect these guys and try to ultimately and if this is going to sound a bit sort of cold but but mold them into assets is is the job of of Watford Football Club to, for, for these players to make them saleable in two three four five six years that's the route they're going to go down rightly or wrongly um you know Scott Duxbury's been on record quite quite publicly saying that he doesn't believe that that route from uh, you, you know academy youth team first team is the same as it once was because it's too it's too risky and quite frankly unlikely that they're, they're going to make it and again you can you can t- draw your own conclusions whether that's right or wrong we'll never know if you don't give them a chance but I think for me at the moment the context of Watford season we need to get these players going they've proved they can do it uh, we saw last year that this this collection of players can t- can turn in fabulous performances so it's down to them to do it and you know I'd be interested to know it's, it's an easy sort of band-aid isn't it oh let's let's give youth a chance which youth which players what have we seen that has indicated that they're capable of, of being thrown in to the you know the lion's den in front of 65,000 people away at Tottenham Hotspur um, and why are they better than our, our current incumbents how do they fit into that the squad um, 
so there's a whole host of, of of things. It's a wider issue, and and it, I understand the question fully because you see Chelsea under their transfer embargo have been absolutely forced to 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 move away from their their previous model, um, which was buy and put them in, and they've had to put give some of the the youngsters a chance, and they're they're doing doing really well. Man United are having to go to them for for different reasons, and and again they're looking looking good there. You know, McTominay is, is McTominay is doing doing really well for them, for example. Um, but I think the thing is, though, that um, in our situation, if you look at the under-23 results, we've definitely improved. They recruited quite heavily in the summer for the for that academy. They got Dennis Wise's son in. They got the, I forget his name now, Sam, somebody from Leeds, who's scoring yeah. goals. We brought Tom Deli Bashiru in, who's been on the bench a couple of times. Um, but the gulf, the gulf between under-23 football and playing in a Premier League game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium against you know against players of the, the quality that they have, the, the, that is a big big gap, and I suspect that's what Scott Duxbury's referring to. In the old days, maybe there was a the gap wasn't so huge. You were playing reserve team football. You weren't playing under twenty three football. You were playing reserve team football. You were playing with senior pros who were coming back from injury or had been dropped or whatever, and you were getting a proper kind of look at what what that first team football was like. The kind of intensity of it, the tackling, the the running, what was expected of you, the uh, having complex jobs to do and, and having to keep them in your mind and concentrate for ninety minutes. And I don't think that under twenty three football is like that. I think it's a non-contact sport on the whole. It's played in front of nobody or not even in stadiums, just on sort of training pitches. And I think that although the under-23 uh, group are having much, much better results this year, we've thrashed a few teams. Uh, we've got players there with potential, but it's clear that we don't have a hudson Adoy, We don't have... Um, James Madison, you know, we don't have a player of that quality because if we did, I think they they would be probably, you know, if we had a Hudson Adoy, they'd probably be playing. But I mean, we haven't I, got Alex... a player of that quality in our youth system yet, but we have we have improved in that area. That academy is better than it was a year ago or two years ago, and eventually, you know, someone will come through. And I, I agree with uh, about Domingos Queen. I think he's probably the most likely, but he's it's going to have to be probably an injury that will let him uh, come into the team. Look at look at um, Chalabar. Would Chalabar have played yesterday if Kapu was fit? Probably not. Kapu would have played. Chalabar played ninety minutes. He played the best ninety minutes. Well, he's played ninety minutes, which is a, a, a uh, which is great, and I, and I thought he put in a, a, a decent performance, one that he can build on. But what happens if Kapu comes back? Does he does he drop back onto the bench? And, that, and that's you know, there's only so many spots. And actually, our central our central midfield is our strongest mm. is our strongest area. Mm. So it's harder to break in. So for someone like Domingos Quina, it's very very difficult for him to to imagine how he can really break into the team. Uh, you know, like Hughes can't get in the team at the moment. There's, you know, there 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 are positions which are really locked down, and uh, so I think it's really hard to get youth. I don't think Kike's got a problem with youth. When he was here before, he chose Ake over Holabas. Ake was 19. He was really a, a central defender or or a defensive midfielder. But he played him at left back for the whole season. Poor old Holabas, who was an international <laughs> and um, played in the Champions League with Olympiacos and Roma. You know, and he couldn't get in the team. So I don't think Kike's got a problem with youth. It's just. You know, you've got to put round pegs in in round holes. I think to to I think Alex listening to this who posed the question might argue that we we've sort of undone our own argument though by saying is it is it Sam Sam Dalby the guy who signed from Sam Dalby yeah Leeds who who's who's looked good and say well okay well. Uh, is he good enough to go in, into the first team to try and score goals? There's a big difference between under twenty three football and and Premier League football, and there is. But we've we've said ourselves throughout the podcast ninety chances five yeah. goals yeah. They're not doing it. 
let's let's so there is a, potentially an argument for for throwing him in, but I do think Watford have a very clear pathway for, for these guys, and they will not deviate from it. It's very it's scientific, and they and they stick to it, isn't it? I don't think it's a let's chuck. It, I, for me, it would feel like we're throwing stuff at the wall and see see what sticks, sort of thing. And I think I think that would be a mistake. But I understand why people are saying, well. It can't be any worse than what we're doing at the moment. So it's an interesting question and it'll be interesting to see how it develops. We've got a game against Everton in the Carabao Cup. It's a, it's a, is it a quarter-final? No. It's a, yeah, whatever. It's the fifth, sixth round. And there's an opportunity. So what do you do if you're Kike? Do you play your strongest side and try and get through the tie and get into the next round of a cup? Of a cup? Or do you say to Sam Darby, right, you're going to play in that game. I want you in that game. I've watched you in under-23 football. Domingos, you're going to play in central midfield. You know, do, do you use it in the way that many, many teams have done, not just this year, but for many years? Do you use the Carabao Cup as a way of blooding youth into the sort of first team environment, seeing if they can stand up? Or, you know, do you think mm, actually it'd be quite nice to get into the, you know, get to have a proper cup run? So I'm going to stick with, you know, Welbeck, Pereira, Delafoe, whoever, in that game against uh, against Everton in a, yeah, in a we, week and a half. We, we, we used the Carabao Cup to get Marco Silva sacked. Nothing more, nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a shame, wasn't it? They won yesterday. Oh, well. Thank you very much for listening to From the Recurrent. Uh, we'll be back again next week once, as Mike has already uh, predicted, Watford win at home to uh, Bournemouth. And uh, we will be uh, in a jolly, jolly mood. Uh, not that we're in a bad mood now. Uh, it's a better mood. But we need to feel jolly at some point this season. Thank you very much to Mike. No problem at all. And thank you, Colin. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you to, uh, to Arlo and Ollie uh, for their input on this podcast and for all the questions you guys sent in. Keep them coming at Watford Podcast on Twitter, uh, Facebook and on Instagram. <sighs> it's another point. It's not three points. But come on, you horns.